Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vredenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 103, and the topic for today is career pivots. You know, a number of you requested that I dedicate some episodes to various major life changes and to have guests, people that have actually gone through those changes, and telling their own story. I see these as ways of vicariously experiencing changes that you may be considering by having a Life Habits virtual coffee with someone who's experienced it. Today, we get into the second of these exploring career pivots with Lendy Krantz, who's in New York City. Welcome, Lendy. Hi, Carl. Nice to be here. I'm delighted to have you on, and I want to just give a little bit of an introduction to you for those listening. Lindy and I know each other from having worked at the company that I still work at, IBM. She managed to, quite successfully, while still being very much her own person, resist and in many cases transform the pressures she experienced into powerful career opportunities. She's currently director at WeWork, and she's leading operations, strategy, productivity and wellness. She previously held a number of interdisciplinary roles at IBM. Through those roles, she led a number of transformation initiatives, reaching across data architecture to communications and design. In between those roles, she founded and ran a consultancy focusing on developing systems for startups and large companies to improve team collaboration and organizational coherence. And that's quite the accomplishment, and I'm pretty impressed with Lendy, and so I'm super happy having her work with us today through getting some insights into going through several career pivots, and she's done a really good job at those, and so I think there's a lot to learn from Lendy. So I'd like to start off, Lendy, just to tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school and college, et cetera? Thanks so much for the question. And thanks for the the great intro, Carl. Like I said, it's so awesome to be here today. So, so I actually grew up in rural Vermont and I was raised on a goat farm. And this was part of a larger community that was very much focusing on the collective. And so I know for many of you folks listening that, you know, if you live in a rural community or you're from a rural community or a small town, you know that that particular area really understands, really values like what everybody gives each other. And so this community was like that. One of the things that was particularly precious for me about growing up in that experience is that I really learned from a young age how to work and be part of a team. And so we had this thing that we called the game supper, um, which happened pretty much every fall and it was right around Thanksgiving time. And so again, those of you who live in a rural community, you'll know this, this sort of experience, but um, hunting is really popular in rural areas. And so uh, it's also true that people will overhunt or hunt without licenses, those sorts of things. And so what happens is that the government will confiscate all the extra game that has been you know, procured via non-ideal situations. Um, in some cases, that means that there's like other folks will just donate things that they have hunted. Um, and all this gets collected and then processed and pulled together for to host a dinner for about 600 people. And so this ha- this had started way before I was born and it continues today, but the production of this event is really significant. So it means that from processing all the meat, um, but then there was also all this cooking that happened alongside that, serving, cleaning, clearing the tables. And in order to orchestrate that, the entire community had to come together and identify different kinds of roles and be very focused and very coordinated and then continue to do that over time. And so for me, that was a really amazing thing because it meant from like a pretty young age, like I, I, it was very normal to work as part of a team. So as I got a little bit older, my curiosity started to really peak 
And I didn't really have a whole lot of these opportunities to travel as a kid. Again, being in a small town, um, I spent most of my life there. And so when I started to, you know, go through high school and, and, you know, as I was graduating, I really wanted to go into other places. I really wanted to spend time abroad. And so I decided to become an exchange student. And this was a pretty interesting experience for me because I had been in this place where I knew everybody and I knew how things worked. And, you know, I had actually never left the country at all. And I had never been away from my family for more than five days before that experience. And so suddenly I was completely removed from that. And, and I know folks listening who have either immigrated or spent time extensively in other places can relate to what that experience is like. There's a whole other layer too for me of like, of not actually having the language. And so I just remember this moment where I was walking down the street with a friend of mine and trying to explain to her my experience of feeling homesick and of, and of what I was going through in terms of no longer being connected to this community that I was so deeply tied to. And all the words that I could say were, I'm sad, I'm sad. It was quite literally the only vocabulary that I had. And so that combined kind of with this very intensive community experience and then feeling completely isolated and then having to build a community from scratch in Spain, I it really led me to be very interested in anthropology. So I went to college in upstate New York and I was particularly interested in anthropology because of this experience of being outside your comfort zone, of how to make sense of that, of how something can be valued in one context and not valued in another, of how certain things are true in one context versus another, and how, and start to understand what I came to call like the science of belonging. That was sort of how I, um, how I got into anthropology. That was a fascinating way of describing, I think, and also the experiences that you had in getting to where you are now. And I wanted to just get a sense, Lindy, of so we have you in college and finishing up your anthropology degree. How did you get to IBM? After I graduated, I um, had a Fulbright scholarship and so went to Bangladesh and I spent some time there, which I really had wanted to go deeper into the research thing. So there's like, I've always been very interested in like once I, once I'm, I get piqued my curiosity about something, I just want to go all in. And so that was another opportunity to do that. And then I eventually moved to New York and, you know, held a couple of different roles, one of which was in research. And from there, I I was very interested in this idea of really understanding the way things were, like how things worked. And I felt like research gave me a lot of that, but I wanted to also be able to apply it. And so that was actually why I went to IBM is because I felt like IBM was this place that was very focused on learning how things were and then also building things to change the world based on that. And so so I spent a long time at IBM and eventually left IBM and took a sabbatical, um, which was like a really, really amazing thing that I was able to do with the company and I'm super blessed for that. And then I spent about six months where I was running my own consultancy. And so uh, I think you mentioned this at the beginning, but a lot of the things I was doing in that context was really focusing on developing systems for startups and then also, you know, and also large companies, but really focusing on this idea of team collaboration um, and helping teams work together more effectively. And so that was something I was particularly interested in because I wanted to, I wanted to try something different. I wanted to see what it was like if I was on my own. And, you know, I had also kind of felt like when I was in these full-time roles, that there was sort of like this pressure to be a particular thing. Like, oh, you're a project manager, or, oh, you're a facilitator, or you're X. And I, I think with that, I felt that there was 
you know, certain aspects of my personality that could really only be possible in that space and the other things like were just kind of not possible. And I think, again, if you talk to people that I worked with there, they would be like, that's not true. You know, like they probably would have even appreciated if I brought more of myself to work. But nonetheless, that was kind of that was how I interpret it. So I thought that if I was independent and if I, you know, was running my own thing, then I would have this experience of real freedom. And and I also really, so like I was saying this earlier, like I really wanted to test myself. And so I was really scared about being independent and I really doubted my ability to be able to sell. I thought I didn't have it in me to land deals. And I particularly thought that I wouldn't be able to convince people who had no institutional mandate to do so to give me money. <laughs> and so... Yeah, it's hard, right? And and so, but at the same time, and, you know, I kind of speak to this a little bit with my experience of being an exchange student, I often will articulate the thing that I'm most scared of, and I'll just go out and do it. Um, and I think some of this is like my way of proving, you know, that I'm good at things. It's also a way of continuing to grow personally. And so, so that was part of what led me to start my own business. And so it was in January of this year. So what I did is I actually just made this business development plan where I went through social media, you know, across all different platforms, looked at people I, you know, identified people that I knew, and then I reached out to them via email or via the platform where I saw that they were the most active um, with a goal of reaching out to three to five people per day. And I actually found that if I did more than that, it was rather defeating because um, for those of you who have been in, you know, sales, you can probably, you've probably gone through this. For those of you who haven't, you know what it's like to put a lot of effort into putting yourself out there and to, you know, in some cases hear back, but often a lot, in, in vast majority of cases, you uh, you don't or people take time or, or so forth. So that was my approach and where I landed. And I was pretty surprised at, at just how many responses I got and how eager people were to talk with me. And so I think that was sort of my first step of like, oh, okay, I could do this. But what was most exciting is that within three months, I had reached this point in which not only had I landed work where I was actually convincing people who didn't have a reason to give institutionally to give me any kind of money to to pay me for work and, and to do the kinds of work that I wanted to do. This was like a pretty, pretty awesome experience for me because again, I'd really thought that I couldn't do this and here I was proving myself wrong. So it was pretty, it was pretty awesome to go through that. And I think, you know, so I was at this point of also starting to think about, well, what's the next step for me and my consultancy? Do I hire or do I refocus some of my offerings so that I, you know, take on a, a narrower scope of work? And right around that time, I was approached by WeWork and for a role that was very much in line with a lot of the work that I was already doing. And I wasn't, again, I wasn't particularly looking for a full-time job. I was quite happy and things were going well, but I Started, I took a step back and I looked at all the projects that were on my plate and I put WeWork as the, the job as one of those projects. And when I looked at, you know, what of these opportunities can I best utilize my skills? Can I be the best version of myself? So thinking back to some of the things that I was reacting to as I was interpreting my earlier experiences and I recognized that the best thing for that was the WeWork job, which was why I took it. I wanted to reflect too on the decision process that you went through. So we had a mentoring relationship through a lot of that. And I remember 
the skills that you bring to the table and the work that you were doing with those skills when you started to do the consultancy, the advice you were providing and the kind of support you were providing for the people that you were now working for were also directly applicable to you applying them to yourself. And I remember us having that conversation and saying, hey, you know, if you were working for yourself in terms of actually improving yourself, what would you do? And even the decision of leaving that, the consultancy and going to WeWork was a similar kind of exercise of actually thinking through the way that you would approach giving mm -hmm. advice professionally, even applying them to yourself as well. And I, I just reflect that a lot of people, I think, are in roles where they do things for others as part of the role that they don't necessarily apply to themselves. So I just wanted to reinforce that I think you did an awesome job of doing that. And I wanted to just point that out as well. Thanks for calling that out. Like, again, it was been super amazing to have your advice and guidance as I've known you for the last couple of years. And I think one of the things like as part of that is I had really thought that there was some sort of larger, better version of I don't know, freedom out there. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that I, I came to really see that, you know, we are always responsible to other people in some capacity. And that also means that we are responsible to ourselves. And maybe it's our family, it's our friends, our managers, whether we're in an organization or we're working independently, we are still interdependent. And but that also means like we have to treat ourselves like we're treating other people. But I also wanted to check into the decision of going from a, a large company to running things on your own, and then the switch over back to working for a fairly large company again. One of the things that was really interesting about running my own business is that I very quickly realized how, while being in a larger organization, I had not had to very proactively articulate what I could what I could do and, and the value that I could bring. So I had done that tangentially, I had done that loosely. And I think for those of you who are in full-time roles, like you will be thinking like, okay, cool, I've got a job description and I've roughly got goals that I'm working on for the next, you know, few months or year or what have you. And I think that that's true for a lot of folks in full-time roles. What's really different about working for yourself is that you have to be very, very clear about what you do and how that can help people progress their goals. The thing that I spent the most time on before I really could get things up and going was really articulating what my offerings were, what my services were, and what were things that people would hire me to do. So that exercise is was super, super valuable for me because I just hadn't had to do that before. And it was also a really interesting reflection exercise in understanding that there were things that were incredibly valuable that made a real difference in terms of people's day-to-day -day lives that they could hire me to do, but they were not necessarily the things that I like thought I was really good at. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think just like from a personal reflection standpoint, that was really interesting, but that was to me the most important thing in terms of selling was not trying to you know, be pushy or trying to be really proactive in certain ways. It was more having clarity around what I could do and what difference that would make for other people. So if I could say I can help your team be more effective because your team will have more structure and they'll have a clearer sense of their goals, a leader is going to say like, wow, that's really great because what team doesn't need more greater clarity and structure? Excellent. Cool, I can hire you to do that. So yeah, I think that was the biggest thing, being clear. People give advice all the time. And mm. some of that advice, of advice is really yeah. helpful and some <laughs> of it is uh, not so helpful and can even be harmful. What advice were you given that really wasn't all that great? 
a few things for sure, right? I'm sure we've all like had things that we heard that we, you know, at the moment we thought we should listen to, you know, but there, some of it didn't feel right or some that was a little bit more more harsh or more off than others. But I think about this one experience when I was in college. And so, like I mentioned, I, I was a Fulbright student in Bangladesh. And right around, right as I had received it, one of my professors advised me that I should really go alone on the Fulbright. And so I should travel to Bangladesh alone. And at the time I was dating somebody who I really wanted to come with me. And so my professor was basically, you know, told me that the, that, you know, Fulbright wanted me to go alone. It was best if I went alone. And I was to some extent risking my experience not being great if I brought my then boyfriend with me. I didn't listen. I brought him with me and it was the best decision I've ever made. Not only did I have like unbelievable protection because there I had like a male guardian who was with me, who was someone who I really trusted and really appreciated and who was amazing to me, you know, but we also looked after each other, kept each other motivated, kept each other focused. He is also someone who I have now been with for 11 years. We got married about four years ago. So not only from a personal perspective, but also in terms of being able to be really successful in the time I was there, that was super helpful. But I think like thinking more broadly, like I think that that advice came from a place of really valuing individual success and independent success. And I think that that's a really dangerous perspective to have. And I think that a lot of organizations, many of which, you know, we have all been a part of, are really good at rewarding the individual. It's like individuals get rewards, individuals get promotions, individuals get recognized or written up. We really believe in this idea of the individual hero. The reality is that the most successes are driven by context and by powerful collaboration. And so I think that emphasis on I am doing this great thing and I alone, you, in, if you focus on that, you're actually ignoring the amazing support you have around you and you're not prioritizing uh, directly the, your, your investment in those who are with you as well. So, you know, I've come to really see through my career that the more that the more that I help the people around me move forward, the more that they will help me move forward. And collectively, we can do incredible things, but there's only so much that any great person can do on their own. It is very much about the inter interdependence. So I think, you know, that was really my my learning from that uh, advice. It also sounds like you also went with your heart. You really, I think, stood back from it and said, you know what, this feels right to me to go this direction. And you were right. And I think you've done that with your career changes as well. Actually stood back and said, you know what, which really feels right for me? Which would I regret if I didn't do, right? So I think that's probably the other perspective on the story that you just told. Now, sometimes we don't get advice that we would like to have gotten. <laughs> and you've gone through some pretty significant career pivots, as I like to call them. What kind of advice would you have liked to have received? And possibly what other advice would you give others that are thinking about this kind of change as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very much the the opposite of what I took from that um, that one experience was your first goal and your first priority should always be, no matter who you work for or who you don't, it's helping the others around you be successful. In improv, they talk about how, you know, support your partner. And that is absolutely your number one goal. I don't think that I got that advice early enough and I wish that I had. I think secondarily, but importantly, secondarily, your job is to find how serving the goals of those around you is a way of creating a cohesive story that serves your goals, but it's secondary. 
what's changed for you? What's your perspective on and what you've learned now over these different career pivots? Such a it's such a great question, right? Because like we kind of have this idea that there's sort of this linear path and you just get like more informed and knowledgeable. But but of course, you know, as as you know, it's so much more nuanced. So thanks for asking that. You know, I, I think, you know, similarly to some of the things I've been saying that I used to really feel like, you know, my success was the most important thing. And I define my success as having a high paying job, you know, having a, a good title, working and working at a powerful company. And I really don't think that's the most important thing anymore. And I've come to realize that self-acceptance is actually the most important thing in life. And so I'll go into that a little bit more. I think that, you know, I, again, I had this idea that if I had this title and I worked in a certain environment and that there was money that I had or money flowing around me that I would be like, I'm set. This is great. You know, and like, I really believe that. Like I'm saying it in a funny way, but I really did believe that. But what I didn't see in not having had that experience is that that particular context actually sometimes means working super long days or having to make really hard decisions. Sometimes it means having hard conversations, like telling people that I really like things I know they don't want to hear. Sometimes it means having people that I really like tell me things that I don't want to hear. Sometimes it means building partnerships with people that really grind my gears. And then I think also too, like there was all this good stuff in that that I didn't realize, which was seeing what it's like to really support people and to see them grow. You know, like I've got a couple of folks I'm working with now that it's amazing to watch how they take on new roles and take on new responsibilities and really challenge themselves and to be a, to be a witness and to be a coach in that context is a really incredible experience. And so, um, you know, and I didn't know that before. And I think similarly, I also overestimated the extent to which having these things associated with me would affect who I really am. So I thought, again, when I had the title and money and so forth, that I would actually be a different person. That's really not true. So I still want to sleep in on Sundays and I still like to eat a lot of chocolate or I get annoyed when people say dumb things or I feel left out when people have an inside joke that I'm not a part of, you know, like all those things that have been true are are still going to be true. And no matter, you know, no matter what thing is associated with me. And I think so that's actually like gets to that's like a really cool thing. You know, again, I don't have to try and be this alter ego version of myself. I can actually just be myself and have these things. It's not it's not an either or. So you've learned an immense amount, I think, in the last number of years. What's still a challenge for you? What do you worry about? Many things. Um, I mean, I think we all do. Like, we all have things we still worry about. But I think, you know, for me, what's really challenging is uh, I'm very goal-oriented, and it's really hard for me when I don't have real clarity about my next goal. And so, you know, I had been saying for a while, I don't know, maybe like the previous, like, four or five years that I really wanted to have... A, I wanted to run my own business, and I also wanted to have a certain kind of job, um, or had a certain kind of role, um, and I was in a certain kind of leader. So I put so much energy into wanting those things to happen, and then in the course of well, one year, I got both of them. So I've kind of like achieved these major goals, um, and so I, you know, now I'm kind of like figuring out what my next larger thing is. But yeah, I think you know, not not having a, a goal is something that's really hard for me. So speaking of that kind of end goal and looking into the future, where do you see yourself in a number of years, let's say five? I mean, it's funny because I, 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 
on so many levels, I, I feel like I really don't know, you know, and I so much has shifted in the last few years that, you know, I could never have imagined. And I certainly five years ago didn't imagine that I would be where I am today. So um, I think that's just kind of interesting in general. But I, based on what I know today, I would imagine that, or at least I hope, that I'll be working primarily as a coach. I'm very interested in this idea of how as artificial intelligence comes more and more into our jobs and more and more into our lives, how we learn to really embrace delegating parts of our jobs and parts of our work to AI and how that enables us to human up, as I call it. So rather than level up, it's human up. And I think, so. but that's also a really challenging experience, especially for those of us who have done certain things, whether it's like editing files or whatever the thing might be that feels very good for you and that then gets delegated to AI and how that means that you then have to learn new things. I'm really interested in that psychological experience for people. And so I imagine that I'll, uh, I'll be taking on more work in that space. And WeWork is going in interesting directions, including more of that. Also, with regard to your first story of what you grew up with, many people know that I'm vegan. And so I actually so celebrated WeWork's decision to go meat-free. And so uh, you don't need to comment on that if you don't want to. But I just wanted to actually mention that I think of the many companies that are taking a social stand, most recently Nike is doing that as well. I think there is this amazing value that I see in companies going down that direction. And we work in particular is one that I admire heavily given my particular perspectives on animal rights and the like. And so congrats on that. That also, I think, is something that where you're working for a company that really is aligned with particular values, I think is really, really important as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly like that was really amazing that we made that kind of decision. And, um, you know, I, again, kind of thinking back to what I was saying about anthropology, I recognize my childhood experience was one thing. And I also recognize that, you know, the level of consumption that we have um, with meat is something that we really need to consider as a society. So um, it's been really, I feel really proud to be part of a company that really prioritizes the environment and prioritizes the larger social good, which, you know, I, I think, is, like I've said, is, is ultimately really where we all need to be spending our energy. Thanks for calling that out, Carl. And so I was thinking, you know, and again, thanks for all the questions that I would share just some, you know, different facts, because for those of you listening, I think, again, there's a lot of pressure for folks to do certain things in their career, um, for their careers to take certain kinds of paths. And um, I wanted to sort of share some sort of behind the scenes things for, for what's helped me be where I am today that may or may not that are probably not what you would expect. So actually never did an internship when I was in college. And my first and only internship was last year when I was on a sabbatical from IDM. And it was for two months with a data science company. Internships are great for some people. It wasn't a key factor in my career. I would say that the most valuable things that I got from my college experience were both the writing skills I gained from writing many, many papers um, and the leadership experience I got from being an RA, hands down. On the topic of student debt, something that is facing so many of us today. I graduated with about $15,000 in debt, which I paid off in full by my 30th birthday. And I'm awesome. now debt-free. It is possible. Don't give up. And then I've, so over the last few years, I've taken some time off between different roles, um, which has been a collective, I would say, about 18 months. And I, I've spent this time writing extensively, learning about design, coding, 
um, learning how to code, becoming a yoga teacher, other kinds of intensive learning and development activities. And whereas I think I have gotten some reactions in choosing to take that time off, if you will, that, you know, oh, this isn't a good decision or it's going to set you back. I, I think it's actually had the opposite effect. So with each pause that I've taken and then when I've re-entered a new role, I've actually propelled myself forward and ended up getting pretty significant promotions in the subsequent role. So I, I would say that I actually probably, rather than losing a year and a half, I think that I actually probably propelled myself forward about three years. So take that as a thing when you're thinking about how to be spending your time and how much you should be working. Outside of my jobs that I've talked about, I would say that the primary way in which that I was, I've supported myself is through babysitting. We all have something that we do. That was my thing. No one has ever asked about my, my uh, GPA ever. Super interesting. Not true for everybody, but that's been my experience. And I would also say that there's so in Carl, like you've obviously been one of these people and I'm super, super grateful for that. I have had many mentors um, that have been tremendously helpful for me. And so I've often had probably like two to four mentors at a given time and I tend to meet with them, you know, probably every couple of weeks or so, sometimes every couple of months, depending on how, you know, their schedules are, time or what have you. And this is something that has been a key part of my life since I was in high school. And and it's come for me from a place of like really needing to have feedback, positive and negative in terms of how I'm doing and how I can be better. But I would say that, you know, we've there's been a lot of writing recently about the importance of mentors. And and I would say that it's important to to really seek those people and to have a couple of people at any given time who who play different kinds of roles for you so that you have the that support from like uh, like larger kind of outside of your day-to-day life perspective but also so you have people who can give you the kick in the butt that you need it's also insightful i think lindy that you mentioned that it's not just one mentor let a lot of people have this notion that they need a mentor you need to have a variety of mentors based on what you want to learn and what kind of feedback you want to get and the like as well right i think that it's been fascinating working with you and seeing your career develop and i think the insights that you have gleaned and many of which you've shared here i think are really really valuable i want to i want to wish you all the best in the latest career move that you've made i know you've been more than generous with your time i wanted to just ask you what your social media coordinates are if anybody wanted to follow up with you yeah, totally. And so I would say the best ways to reach out out to me are via my website or via LinkedIn. And so my full name is Melendi Krantz. And you can find my website at lendykrantz.co. So L-E-N-D-Y-K-R-A-N-T-Z.co. And it's got you know all my other stuff there. But you can you can check me out there. And I, uh, I look forward to being in touch with folks who are listening and happy to answer questions or, you know, share insights, what have you. So um, thanks so much, Carl, for your time. And, um, and as always, it's, you know, again, it's, it's great to see you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you being part of this. And I just want to also thank everybody that's listening for both being engaged in this podcast series, but also in looking to improve your life. I think I'd like to celebrate that on a regular basis. And also want to encourage you to get in touch with me at lifehabits at gmail.com. If you want to write to me, you can also go to the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash lifehabits. You can also go to look at the website that is carlvradenberg.com for the show notes for these sessions as well. Make sure to also give a rating and a comment in the various places where you may be getting this podcast. And we will talk to you next time. And bye for now.